Today's episode is presented by Purple Carrot. Purple Carrot is the plant-based subscription meal kit that makes it easy to cook irresistible meals to fuel your body. Each week, choose from an expansive and delicious menu of dinners, lunches, breakfasts, and snacks. Every box is an opportunity to learn and experience something new with easy recipes and fresh pre-portioned ingredients. No shopping, no food waste. Just globally inspired, restaurant-quality, plant-based meals. Get $30 off your first box by going to purplecarrot.com and entering code PODGO30 at checkout today. That's P-O-D-G-O-30 for $30 off your first Purple Carrot box. Purple Carrot, the easiest way to eat more plants. Do you see dead people? Not because you're a Bruce Willis superfan, but because visits with Gma got a little weird after her funeral. Are you often up at 3 a.m. googling the various ways in which bodies decompose? But you swear it's just harmless research. Are you the first of your friend group to go on a murder tour or rent a haunted location for the night? Then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to the Identity Podcast. on protein powders that give me a little extra boost. There are mornings when I just can't get up and eat a huge breakfast, so I make a protein shake instead, and the powders I got from Unico Nutrition hit the spot. There are so many delicious flavors. Vanilla ice cream milkshake, ooey gooey frosted cinnamon roll, spoonful of peanut butter with chocolate, Aunt Judy's banana cream pie, molten chocolate lava shake, cookies and cream dream, and candy shop caramel squares. They even have a birthday cake cupcake with rainbow sprinkles. Unico protein powder for women and men is the perfect guilt-free indulgence. Use the low-carb protein shakes for faster recovery after workouts, healthier snacking, or even as a meal replacement. The powder itself is so fine that it blends seamlessly into milkshakes and mixes for baked goods, And Unico has a bunch of recipes on their website for delicious donuts and keto-friendly cinnamon rolls, to name a few. Unico's everyday wellness supplements help replenish essential nutrients and help you live your best life. Trim down and tone up with Unico's best-in-class supplements for weight loss, carefully formulated with five patented all-natural ingredients to help you achieve your healthiest physique. Right now, listeners of the Identity Podcast can save $20 on their purchase at uniconutrition.com. Just head on over to their website and use code IDENTITY at checkout. That's O-D-D-E-N-T-I-T-Y. 
Say goodbye to chalky, tasteless protein powders and supplements that fall flat, and say hello to Unico Nutrition. It's like a bunch of unicorns are having a rave in your mouth. Seriously. Urban legends have existed for centuries, each containing a kernel of truth or a shred of wisdom about a world filled with dark corners and alleyways leading to the darkest parts of the human psyche. They teach us about ourselves, what we should avoid, and where we are truly the least safe. Have you ever heard the term safe as houses? This urban legend destroys that idea. If you've ever taken a job as a babysitter, you know that it's likely the most laid back job you can have. You arrive early evening and watch the parents depart, play games with the kids and perhaps feed them dinner. Then you send them to bed, tucking them comfortably in. After that, the house is yours. You raid the fridge and watch some old movie on TV, text your friends about how boring your evening has been, and wait for the parents to return. The evening is uneventful and ends with the parents happily slipping a few crisp bills into your hand before they bid you good night. At least, that's how it's supposed to go. It's Friday night, and while many of her friends might be partying, hanging out at local fast food restaurants or catching a movie at the cinema, she's babysitting. In an effort to save money before she goes off to college, she's been babysitting every Friday night for the last four months. The children have been fed, given their baths, and tucked into bed, so she's relaxing in front of the TV, awaiting the parents' return. The sudden ring of the telephone interrupts her viewing, and she reaches over to lift the receiver. When she says hello, she hears a brief silence, and then, Have you checked the children? She's taken aback. The voice says again, Have you checked the children? She hangs up the phone quickly, leaping from the sofa and running up the stairs. When she peeks in on the children, they're fast asleep. Her herd is still racing, but she tries to calm herself. She closes the bedroom door and goes back downstairs, brushing the phone call off as a prank. Several of her friends know that she's babysitting tonight. It was likely one of them trying to scare her. After about an hour, the credits roll on the film that she's watching, and she's expecting the parents home shortly when the phone rings again. Same caller, same voice. Have you checked the children? She's scared now and quickly hangs up the phone, picking up again and calling the police. She tells the officer what the problem is, and the officer agrees that they'll trace the next call that she gets to put an end to it. She's satisfied, and when the next call comes, she picks up and leaves the line open. When she hangs up, the phone rings again. It's the police. They tell her that the call is coming from inside the house. She immediately runs outside and waits for the police to arrive. When they do, the police enter the house, clearing each floor and every room. 
they find the bodies of the children upstairs. Both have been murdered. Hello, Odd Pod listeners, and welcome back to Season 7 of the Identity Podcast on the Podmoth Media Network, your bi-weekly foray into the weird, wonky, and sometimes downright spooky. It's hard to believe that I've been delivering weird and creepy content to your ear holes for that long, but here I am. As I mentioned at the end of Season 6, the season will look a little different. The season will run for six episodes, the final episode being an interview, and you'll be getting a new episode from me every two weeks. The content will remain the same, and only the length of the season and release schedule will change. Before we get to today's topic, I wanted to take a moment to give a shout out to all the great pods on the Podmoth Network. We've recently been working together to compile an archive of promos that can either be read or inserted into episodes to raise awareness for all of the great pods that we have to offer. So you'll hear these promos cycling throughout the season. To check out the pods we have on offer, head on over to podmoth.network. There's lots of weird and wonderful pods to choose from, and I'm sure you'll enjoy them. I'd also like to let you all know that Podmoth is swapping ads with the Paranormality Network. You'll hear one of their ads at the end of this episode. In other news, the Identity Podcast is now offering merch. Available now at bonfire.com is the Weird Together shirt. You can also grab a hoodie if that's your preference. Each shirt is made of soft, premium fabric, a 50-50 cotton poly mix, and makes a perfect gift for that special weirdo in your life. As the shirt states, we are weird together, a family of weirdlings that's been keeping it weird and spooky since 2017. All proceeds from the shirt go towards hosting costs and will help keep the weird coming for another year. For the odd, by the odd pod. You can find the weird together shirt at bonfire.com forward slash store forward slash OP merch. I'll also post a link in the show notes. And now, on with the show. Of course, there are often many different incarnations of an urban legend. Some variants of the story have one or more of these details. Firstly, the caller turns out to be either one of the children or an elder sibling who decided to scare the babysitter as a prank, but they get told off by the police. Second, the babysitter is also killed. Third, the babysitter manages to rescue the children and the prowler gets arrested by the police. Fourth, while being taken away by the police, the prowler whispers or says out loud, See you soon, to the babysitter. Fifth, in some versions, when the prowler calls the babysitter, he just makes scary noises like giggling or heavy breathing. Also in this version, when the operator says that the calls have been coming from the same house, the phone goes quiet. And when the operator asks if the babysitter is still there, all they get are some scary noises, meaning that the babysitter has already been killed. 
Watchers Podcast brings you a new horror-filled episode. Ev- Colson. Colson. What? I'm recording a promo. Did you tell them about the scary listener stories? I'm getting to it. Okay, sorry. Uh, and then we're available wherever you get your podcasts? You need to let me finish this. Okay. May- maybe use a creepy, creepy voice. That's it. Oh, and tell them about the horror movie you reviews. Sixth, the children are with the babysitter while watching television. Then the prowler starts phoning them, saying that he'll be with them in a certain amount of time. Then after they get the news that the calls are coming from inside the house, they hear a door upstairs opening, and they hear the sound of footsteps heading towards the room that they're in. This version can be found in the scary stories to tell in the dark books. Seventh, Years later, the babysitter is now an adult and has a family of her own. One evening, she and her husband go to have dinner while the babysitter looks after the children. The evening is going well until the waiter approaches their table and says that there's a phone call for her. She answers the phone and hears, Did you check the children? This is an ending that appears in some of the movie versions. Eighth, The police come up to one of the children with a very grim look on their face and say, We found him under your bed. He was holding a sharpened screwdriver. This ending appears if someone is telling the story. And finally, number nine. The babysitter does a check on the children each time, with her noticing a creepy clown statue that she assumes was just part of the decor, but ends up being the man in question. She learns this when she mentions it to the mother via phone call, who alerts her to the fact that they don't have a clown statue. I'd like to make a point here that a clown statue is never just a clown statue. And who the hell needs a clown statue? Ever. Period. Full stop. Moving on. Before we go any further, we should likely touch on the origins of babysitting. It's kind of an odd practice to trust the care of your most precious children to teenagers or strangers recommended by a friend, but many people embrace the babysitter as a caregiver on a parent's night out. Commonly, babysitters are middle to junior high school students, though when I was growing up, the babysitters I came to know were college-aged. Some families even have full-time or live-in caregivers, called nannies, to watch their children throughout the day and night. When I babysat, I made sure to take first aid courses and got my certification, as it may be more marketable to families seeking a part-time caregiver. The term babysitter was first recorded back in 1937, and the earliest use of the word goes all the way back to the 1800s. It's possible that the term may have originated from a caregiver sitting on, or caring for, at least I hope so, a baby in one room, while parents entertained in another. It could also come from the practice of hens to sit on their eggs. The word in British English is used to describe an individual who cares for a child for a few hours, but the American sense of the word could refer to a child being cared for for most of the day, or on a regular or formal basis. I've also heard babysitters called childminders by some of my Brit friends. 
In India and Pakistan, a babysitter is known as ayah and is hired on for long-term care of a child regardless of whether the parents are there or not. Now, many urban legends are fairly innocuous. You can look at the information presented and understand easily that the tale was designed to be purely cautionary. For example, the hook man was designed to keep kids away from abandoned places where they could engage in premarital sex. Urban legends like the choking Doberman and Humans Can Lick Too address the complacency of living in suburban America and the nothing bad can happen here attitude that many seem to have. The Mexican pet tackles ignorance when a woman brings a dog home from Mexico only to find out that it's actually a huge rat. Each urban legend serves a purpose and is classified by certain criteria. I've gone over these criteria in a previous episode, but let's revisit it to refresh our memories. According to Alyssa Michelle Zacker, a writer from the Epoch Times who penned an article entitled Urban Legend Modern Morality Tales in 2010, in order for the babysitter and the man upstairs to be classified as an urban legend, it must meet the following criteria. The story must contain outrageous content in an everyday setting. As I mentioned previously, babysitting is an age-old practice, and I'm sure that even as you're listening to this podcast, there are countless babysitters reporting for work or putting their charges down for the night, tucking them into their beds. Of course, the addition of a murderer hiding somewhere in the house only to kidnap or kill both children, depending on which version of the legend or which movie you've seen, might be a little outlandish. But it's not like random strangers hiding in the house with murder on their mind is an odd occurrence. The origin of the story is anonymous. There's no real way to know when the babysitter story originated, but it's believed to be modeled after a real murder that we'll talk about a little later in the episode. I personally had this story told to me by a friend who had just gotten her first babysitting job, and she was terrified to be alone. I eventually caved and agreed to help out with the kids so that she wouldn't have to be alone in the house. There are multiple incarnations of the story. I've seen every movie in which some version of this urban legend is relayed. The list is pretty long. Foster's release, 1971. Black Christmas, 1974, The Sitter, 1977, When a Stranger Calls, 1979, When a Stranger Calls Back, 1993, Scream, 1996, Urban Legend, 1998, When a Stranger Calls, The Remake, 2006, When a Killer Calls, 2006, Amusement, 2008, and House of the Devil, 2007. Television programs including Freaky Stories and Mostly True Stories, Urban Legends Revealed, have also tackled this urban legend. My favorite by far is the original When a Stranger Calls from 1979, but each of these movies follow the legend pretty closely with a few variations. Of course, you have to suspend your disbelief in a lot of these films. 
For example, when a stranger calls, the babysitter is called back by the police to be told that the call is coming from inside the house. I doubt that the police would be able to figure that out in such a short amount of time. It's not like they have her phone tapped, unless the family that she's babysitting for is being observed in some way by law enforcement. Maybe they do. Who knows? The point is, it's a little far-fetched. For me, the film is still enjoyable. I just have to put my disbelief in my back pocket and sit on it. No matter who tells the story, it begins with, it happened to a friend of a friend of mine. There is no real credibility and no person to hold accountable for factual information. Even though this urban legend is loosely based on real-life occurrence, there's still no proof that the legend originated from that specific occurrence. There's speculation that the legend began around 1950, when a young woman was murdered while babysitting. But again, there's no confirmation that the urban legend and the crime have anything in common. There are some aspects of the story that are plausible and have a ring of truth. Could someone sneak into the house while you're babysitting? Absolutely. Could someone hide in the house undetected and cause some harm to you or to the children that you're looking after? Sure. Even if the story didn't happen exactly as it's told, that doesn't mean that it can't happen. That's what makes this urban legend particularly unnerving. It's the possibility that someone has somehow gained entry into the house and is laying in wait that is truly terrifying. The story serves a purpose, either as a cautionary tale or otherwise. According to the documentary Killer Legends, it would be a very random occurrence for a babysitter to be attacked while babysitting. But think of it like this. You're young and this is your first job. You're alone in a new house that you've never been in before and you're hearing random sounds, noises you're unfamiliar with. That's a little unnerving. However, no matter how random this occurrence might seem, the legend still serves as a cautionary tale. A friend of mine, a favorite babysitter of many of the neighbors on my street, would often allow other people to come over to the house that she was sitting in. Her boyfriend was a frequent guest. It's likely that she was a little distracted from the job that she was meant to do, and I think that this urban legend illustrates what might possibly happen if a babysitter is negligent or doesn't take the job seriously. On March 18, 1950, Jeanette Crispin, then 19, was babysitting for the Romack family on Stewart Road in Columbia, Missouri. Sometime after she'd put the little boy, three-year-old Gregory, down for the night, but before the parents returned at 1.30 a.m., Jeanette was brutally raped and murdered in the living room. From the Columbia Tribune. Officers studied footprints and fingerprints Monday in an effort to trace the assailant who raped and strangled a 13-year-old babysitter. The body of brown-haired Jeanette Chrisman, a high school student, was found early Sunday in a Columbia home where she was babysitting. 
During the last six months, another babysitter was raped and a college student was the victim of an attempted rape in the same neighborhood. Mr. and Mrs. Ed Romack found the body when they returned home. Their three-year-old son, Gregory, with whom Miss Chrisman was a babysitter, still lay asleep. He apparently had slept throughout the evening. Prosecuting attorney Carl Sapp said blood was smeared through the house, indicating that the girl put up a terrible struggle. Footprints were found in a sleep-covered area near the broken window in the house. Police believe the intruder crawled through the window. The state highway patrol also said that it's processing fingerprints found at the scene. An electric iron cord was twisted around the girl's throat. Her scalp had been pierced several times by an instrument, apparently similar to a small lead pipe. Police speculated on the possibility that the girl may have attempted to call police at the time of the incident. An excited girl or woman telephoned the police station at about 11 o'clock Saturday night. Policeman Roy McCown, who took the call, said that she was excited and he couldn't understand her. Quote, I urged her to calm down and just tell me where she was, McCown said. Then there was silence, not the sound of a receiver being hung up, just silence, end quote. After discovery of the body, it was noted that the telephone receiver had been improperly placed on the instrument. The slaying was somewhat similar to the rape and murder of Mary Lou Jenkins, Stephen's college student, in February of 1946. Miss Jenkins was killed in the living room of her parents' home, the house is near the Romack home. An electric cord was twisted around Miss Jenkins' throat. Floyd Corcoran was convicted of the Jenkins slaying and put to death in the state penitentiary gas chamber. Miss Chrisman was the daughter to Mr. and Mrs. Charles Chrisman. The father is a cafe operator. The family formerly lived in Boonville, Missouri. Jake Bradford is being held in county jail in the two other cases of rape and attempted rape that occurred in the Romax neighborhood in the last six months. He's awaiting trial. Corcoran was convicted on the Jenkins murder, and Bradford was held on suspicion of the rape of Jeanette Chrisman. But there was another suspect who passed a polygraph and left town shortly after the murders. 27-year-old Robert Mueller. He was never charged and eventually sued the sheriff and others for holding him illegally. He did have intimate knowledge of the crime. The Chrisman murder remains unsolved, and Mueller's involvement in the crime is still under suspicion by many. According to friends of Jeanette and Miss Romack, Mueller had met Chrisman several times. Court documents state that Mueller, quote, expressed admiration for Chrisman's figure and her mature development and expressed the opinion that she was a virgin, end quote. Ms. Romack told the police that she thought Mueller had made unwelcome advances towards Chrisman in the past and he was a close friend of the Romacks, knowing details about the home's interior. Apparently, according to police interviews, Mueller's wife had contacted Jeanette to babysit for them on that evening, 
but Jeanette had told them that she'd already been asked by the Romax. The documentary Killer Legends also speculates that the killer also knew where the Romax kept their shotgun. Apparently, Mr. Romack had shown Jeanette how to use it and where it was stored, in the front hall closet. It's likely that the killer broke the window on the side of the house in order to draw Jeanette's attention away from the front door and the weapon and entered the home that way. The broken window sat behind a piano in the family living room, and although glass from the window was found broken on the floor, the blinds over the window were intact, and items on top of the piano were undisturbed, leading police to conclude that this was not the point of entry. Both Jenkins and Crispin were strangled to death using the cords cut from nearby appliances. Mary Lou Jenkins was not babysitting. Her mother had gone next door and returned home the next morning to find Mary Lou dead. This is why, even though Mary Lou's murder predated the Christman murder, it isn't considered the origin story for the babysitter legend. Also from the Columbia Tribune. Mary Lou Jenkins, 20-year-old daughter of Mr. and Mrs. Jack Jenkins, graduated last June from Stevens College here was found strangled to death this morning in the living room of her home in the outskirts of Columbia. Mr. Jenkins, a contractor, has been working in Kansas City and living temporarily at 3035 Harrison Street, while Mrs. Jenkins and the daughter remained at the home here. Sergeant Glenn Murray of the Columbia Police said the indications were that the girl had been raped by her slayer. A lamp cord torn from the fixture had been wrapped tightly five times around her neck. The body was found by Mrs. Jack Jenkins, the mother, a trained nurse who had spent the night with an elderly ailing couple living next door. Mrs. Jenkins said that when she found all the doors locked this morning and was unable to rouse her daughter, she climbed through a rear window. There was evidence of a violent struggle in the home. A quilt from the bed Miss Jenkins had occupied was lying on the floor in the kitchen. Police said that the girl's fingernails were ripped and torn, indicating that she had fought desperately with her attacker. When the body was found, the lower part of her pajamas was gone, and later the garment was found crumpled beneath her. There was a bathrobe about her shoulders over a pajama coat, indicating that she may have donned it quickly, possibly after being awakened by a prowler. Both the pajama coat and the bathrobe had been pulled up and away from the body, leaving it virtually nude. Two house slippers and other articles were scattered about as if thrown in a struggle. N.R. Hagen, police chief, said that judging from the marks on the body, the girl had been struck on the chin, choked and then strangled with a wire cord. Leo Collins, a neighbor, said that he had heard a scream from the Jenkins home at around 10.15 last night, and Mrs. Frank Jurgesmeyer also a neighbor, made a similar report. Mrs. Jenkins said that from the neighboring house where she was nursing, she saw a light go on in the living room about 10 o'clock and a window shade pulled up. There had been an agreement, she said, that if the daughter was disturbed during the night, she should turn on the light and raise the shade, then telephone her mother. There was no telephone call, Mrs. Jenkins said. Lieutenant E.I. Hoxday, laboratory technician for the State Highway Patrol, 
and his assistants joined Columbia Police in the investigation today. They took specimens of hair found on the floor beneath the body and bloodstains near the body and on the floor of the kitchen cabinet five feet away. A coroner's jury viewed the body before it was removed by the undertaker. Coroner E.J. Ward said that he would hold an inquest and an autopsy tomorrow. Blonde, bespectacled Mary Lou Jenkins was known at Stevens College as a very quiet, unassuming girl. Mary Lou had been a day student and worked in the general library catalog department. Since her graduation, she'd been studying to prepare herself for public school nursing position. She had completed her apprenticeship. Miss Jenkins was attractive and had been active in high school and college affairs. She was a member of Phi Phi Phi, a social sorority at Stevens College, where the idea of education is the development of a well-rounded personality. Quote, she was not the type of woman, Mrs. Phillips said, who would ever give men the come on. She didn't date much, although she participated in the activities of the Columbia Service Organization, which gave chaperoned dances and parties for servicemen in the war years, end quote. There was further speculation that Mueller was the murderer as he joined the service, and it was likely that Mueller may have known Jenkins from one of those dances or parties. Again, this is all just speculation, and there's no hard proof of Mueller's involvement. That's it for this week, dear listeners. Tune in next time for more tales of the creepy, weird, and paranormal. Until next time, stay spooky. The Identity Podcast is brought to you on a bi-weekly basis by host Janine Mercer. The podcast is written and edited by Janine Mercer, unless otherwise stated, and the music is provided by GarageBand. Find The Identity Podcast on Twitter and Instagram at IdentityPod, and on Facebook as The Identity Podcast. If you'd like a transcript of this episode, one will be available at theidentitypodcast.wordpress.com. Please take a moment to leave us a five-star review on iTunes, and don't forget to mash that subscribe button to be sure you're in the know when a new episode drops. Sincerest thanks to all who have promoted the Identity Podcast to their family, friends, and coworkers. Every little bit helps. personal paranormal stories we've got bigfoot we've got aliens we've got skinwalkers and we've got movie references 
Listen in every week as we retell your paranormal stories with comedy, cussing, and class. And sometimes coffee, and sometimes cats, and sometimes beer or wine, and sometimes cats and trash cans. Okay. <laughs> Catch us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Bye. Bye.